Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And welcome to Safety Wars. Wanted to welcome everybody to the show. So what are we doing here? It's Fall Protection Week. We could not get on the air yesterday. We had a faulty internet connection. We wanted to do this live, but it didn't work out. So we are here. I decided to do a early broadcast today, and we'll probably do another one tonight. So you're going to have two for the price of one. What's my goal here? My goal here is real simple. We're going to have five programs a week. I have something for you five times a week. Uh, last Saturday, we did a broadcast introduction to OSHA. Uh, you can look that up on uh, our YouTube channels. We're also on uh, Facebook Live, LinkedIn Live, YouTube Live, Twitch, Twitter, Telegram, and OneStream. So uh, apparently we are broadcasting to all of those right now. So, how was your weekend? I hope it was enjoyable like mine. A lot of rain here in the Northeast. So, to this week is Fall Protection Week with OSHA. So, we're supposed to set aside some time, and just like last Friday and over the weekend, there were work, uh, uh, Workers Memorial Day commemorations uh, at a lot of facilities. So, this... Uh, week is fall protection week. So we're supposed to go out, and as you can see, I'm doing this remotely. Uh, we're supposed to go out and do a safety meeting this week, or something like that, a safety stand down. It's meant to be a little bit more in depth than maybe your five minute toolbox talk that you may give once a week or a 15 minute toolbox talk, but something appropriate to what you're doing to talk about falls in construction. So uh, what are we doing? We are doing today, we're going to talk about some of the standards and some other materials with fall protection. And then we're going to do our regular news and views uh, later on today, along with some other information on fall protection. What the idea is, is to make your life a little bit easier as a safety professional or as who, anybody who is performing the safety stand down. Most of my clients are getting hit up on Thursday or Friday with safety stand downs uh, that we're hosting. If you need us to do training for you, you can give us a call at 845-269-5772 or at uh, jim at safetywars.com. And that reminds me, let me turn off all of the ringers and everything else so we're not uh, disturbed. Well, there are a lot of people say that I'm already disturbed out of here. 
So what are we do? What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about some of the standards associated with fall protection, the OSHA standards. And then we're going to talk about some of the standards associated with uh, uh, and the equipment associated with those standards and what to look for, what the OSHA citations are and everything else. And again, just like last Saturday's upload, um, Introduction to OSHA, this could be used to supplement some of your meetings out there and things of that nature. So let's go and hopefully we won't get kicked off the air again. So. Okay, we got that. We got that. Okay, so here we have Safety Wars Live. Okay, we know what we are. This is a one disclaimer. Anything in this uh, presentation not should be considered. Uh, should, nothing should be considered comprehensive. You need an assessment done for what you're actually doing out there. And workplace falls are fatal, usually, often, usually, right? and fatal fractures, the whole nine yards, and usually result in the huge consequences for everybody involved, especially the person who gets hurt. The information presented in this video is for general informational purposes only and should not be construed as professional or legal advice and reliance, any reliance uh, you place on such information is therefore strictly at your own risk. The views expressed in this video are solely those of the individuals involved, me, and do not necessarily represent the views of YouTube or any other organization. We make no representations or warranties of any kind, express or implied, about the completeness, accuracy, reliability, suitability, or availability with respect to the video or the information, products, services, or related graphics contained in the video for any purpose. Any reliance you place on such information is strictly at your own risk. Signed, Jim Polzel. That's me. So one of the things I'm going to point out here that all of these regulations rely on a competent person to do their job correctly. Why is that? So mm -hmm. you're the competent person on any one of these jobs. And okay. You're the competent person here. Most people don't know what that means. Competent person. Yeah, I know what's going on. Uh, I know what we're doing. Uh, I know this. I know that. Okay, great. You're the competent person. But most people do not know what that means. What that means is, is that you're capable of assessing the hazard and correcting the hazard. Everyone knows uh, who's been listening to us here knows uh, the uh, uh, hold on here knows the uh, stories I tell about people not knowing what that means. So OSHA has under the construction uh, standard has many different uh, many different standards that require competent persons. And what the idea is, it, oh, 
that the competent person is the person in the field doing the inspections, verifying the training, and verifying everything else that's out there uh, as far as what, whether the job is still going right. So, for example, the uh, you're responsible to make sure the equipment is appropriate, all the all the equipment is installed uh, appropriately, and everything else that goes into it, because everything has to be, you know, although designed by a qualified person, a qualified individual, the, uh, per, uh, right, hold on, I'm making sure this is playing here. It uh, has to be done under the direction of the competent person. I'm sorry. I am. We're still working out details here with the live show. And has to be a safety monitor. We're going to talk about that. Has to be a uh, competent person. Has to be the one administrating the safety plan. And it's got to be a competent person. All that goes into that. So. With fall protection last year, we ran into a situation on one of our projects. And on that project, we had somebody who put themselves down as a competent person in 27 different areas. You're going to say, Jim, 27 different areas? So, yeah, 27 different areas. She was she desi was the designated competent person. person had one year's experience in health and safety, and I and when the questions came up, like, well, are you a competent person for fall protection? She said, yes, I am very proudly. I said, OK, what fall protection training have you had? Education, training, experience, anything like that. I had the OSHA 30 hour class. And as we all know, the OSHA 30 hour class is uh, just an awareness level training. It doesn't actually certify you in anything at all. And it's like, well, then what good is it? Well, this is what's good it is. No, a lot of most workers do not know what their rights are under OSHA, do not realize what the responsibilities of their employees are under OSHA, don't understand what the uh, responsibility of their employers are under OSHA or anything like that. And it's basically you have a right to a safe and healthful workplace free of recognized hazards. So uh, what does this mean? The competent person has to have all of these things in there. And this is the program model right from OSHA. Has to have the experience, knowledge, has to be able to administrate things and communicate things, and has to have the authority. That's the big thing. You can have those other four things, but if you don't have the authority to actually fix things, guess what? You're not a competent person. So this person that I spoke about, we spoke to her supervisor, and her supervisor said, well, and she corrects anything, it had better be correct. It had better be right. If she shuts down the job, she better be 100% right. So here's my question. At that point, are you now the competent person? The answer is probably not because look at the incentive you have here. Yeah, you have the authority, but if you use it you, and if you're one step out of the way, one little bit out of your lane, you're not a competent person. So some of the com common arguments against fall protection, you say, well, Jim, 
People are against fall protection? Yes, people are against fall protection. Number one, it's too expensive. Number two, it does not apply to what we are doing. Right? That's the out-of-your-jurisdiction thing. We can get by with safety monitors. No, you can't. Fall protection equipment is uncomfortable and limits my movement, so I cannot do my job. I've been doing this job for years without any accidents, so I don't need fall protection. We all know about the new definition of safety, correct? What's the new definition of safety? I'll give you a minute here, dude, right? I should have the uh, Jeopardy music here. But what is it? Oh, what do we have here? Okay. It's not the absence of incidents or illnesses or injuries. That's not what safety is. Safety is defined as the presence of controls, capacity, resilience, things of that nature. The cost of fall protection equipment is too expensive. We have a discussion like that today. And fall protection measures are only necessary for high-risk jobs or tasks, not for my job. Fall protection equipment is too complicated to use, and it takes too much time to put it on and take care of. I don't care if they take headers off the side of the building. I've heard that one, and that's not back in the day. That's like back in the day about a year ago. Everyone has got to die sometimes. I only hire independent contractors. Therefore, we are not covered by o under OSHA. Well, first of all, uh, OSHA might have something to say about that, and uh, the IRS might have something to say about that, too. Because usually these people who are being hired as independent contractors, unless it's under some type of an official corporate veil, like a uh, sole proprietor, uh, LLC, uh, uh, incorporated, something like that, you're probably not an independent contractor. And last, it will never happen to me. Now, there are, I'm going to have a whole bunch of common citations here from OSHA dealing with uh, construction site, but it all um, basically it comes down to this for most of these. If you're in construction, six foot or higher off the ground or from a lower level, to be more accurate, you need to wear some type of fall protection. Right, and there and residential construction has an exemption when the employer can demonstrate that it's infeasible or creates a greater hazard to use these systems. And you need a fall protection plan. I haven't seen one job where it is not feasible. Believe me, in my neighborhood, we see a lot of residential construction. It's always feasible. It's whether or not you want to do it or not, whether or not you want to send people to training or not. Unprotected sides and ed edges, right? Here's one, six foot. Again, unprotected side and edge, right? right? And 501A1, this is sections for, for its requirements for employers to provide fall protection systems and all fall protection required by this section shall conform to the criteria set forth in 1926-502. That's where the employer doesn't supply equipment or they supply equipment that is inappropriate. For example, hunting stuff for like a tree stand, right? And be careful with those because if you get those used, usually the leg straps are uh, uh, the leg straps are cut off almost every time. Believe I know this through experience.
roofing work on those sloped roofs, right? So sometimes otherwise provided each employer engaged in roofing activities on low sloped roofs without with unprotected sides and edges, six feet or more above lower levels shall be protected from falling by guardrail systems, safety net systems, personal fall arrest systems, or a combination of warning line system and guardrail system. The warning line system and safety net system or warning line system and personal fall arrest system or blah, 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 blah. Or on roofs, this is where everybody forgets, on roofs 50 feet or less in width, the use of a safety monitoring system alone without a warning line system is permitted. So people try to pull this when the roofs are literally two, three, four hundred, even six hundred foot uh, wide. I've seen, and they think that they're gonna, you know, you know. I don't know what to say on this one. It's very frustrating. Each employee on a steep roof. With unprotected sides and edges six feet or more above lower levels shall be protected. Again, six feet. Each employee on a walking, working surface, again, shall be protected from falling through holes six feet. Here we have, and I grabbed this off of Gravitech, um, off their website, is that uh, we have heard of hierarchy of protection, and they list five things. One is the hazard elimination, where you're going to, Try to eliminate the hazard. Then you have a passive fall protection, which is a railing, guardrail system, fall restraint system, where there is zero possibility of you falling. And then you have a fall arrest system, where uh, it's usually tied overhead, but you have to have the right equipment, the right assessment done. Competent person's got to do an assessment. And then you have the least uh, desired one, which is the safety monitor. Here we have one example here. Person is uh, on a roof over a dumpster. Chances are they were throwing things off of the roof into the dumpster. So you have a leading edge, right? Six feet or more. Here's another one where we have someone in a window. It looks like a much younger worker. Uh, and guess what? That window is not going to hold a 200-pound limit on there. I doubt it. Here we have a low, a working over a low, lower level. We have somebody who is three people who access the area with a scissor lift, right? First of all, that scissor lift was probably overloaded and got off it, and now they're working over there. Now, can I use a scissor lift as a guardrail system? Maybe. We've done that already. Building structures. When working at a height of six feet above the level, you must use fall protection. Here we have two gentlemen, uh, one with a very sturdy pair of suspenders, heavy duty there, uh, standing on a uh, two by 12. There. Guardrails system dismantled. Right. That's a loading zone. Loading zone. Unloading zone, and here we have the top rail of a guardrail system. What's required? A top rail of 200 pounds, a mid rail of 150 pounds, and tow board because of dropped objects at 50 pounds. The guardrail is supposed to have a top rail, mid rail, and a tow board, right? On there, that's how that looks on like a two by four setup. Another example of a guardrail. And here we have a cable rail system, a cable. 
right? So cable guardrails must meet the same rules as wooden guardrails. The top rail must be at least 42 inches high and resist up to 200 pounds. They have to have flagging. Same situation here where we have flagging throughout, right? Every six feet, there's a flag. If you're going to be doing that, this is the proper way to rig that with the U-clamps. Now, the... I don't use, or U-bolts, I don't use them anymore. I use the opposable ones uh, because there's always an argument with this. Believe me, I've had uh, contractors put on hundreds of these, and then I go out there and say, dude, they're upside down. Oh, no, they're not. No, they're not. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, they are. And um, had them redo all of them. And even after they see the photo, They'll still go back and correct it, and that's, and then they'll go and they change it again. Yeah, I know. I work with people. Safety net systems. I don't ever re recommend these uh, unless, uh, or if they're out on a job, I tell people, hey, there's a lot of stuff you have to do with a safety net system. So three things. No more than 30 foot below the workers. They have to have certain testing requirements, and they often get damaged. And a safety net system assumes the worker is going to fall. So what do you need to do? You need to test the net like once a week, remove objects fallen into the safety net, inspect at least once a week. There should be a recent certification record for each net installation. Again, your paperwork. So here we have different distances and because things fall out often when you're dealing with a safety net. So a 30-foot safety net would have to go out a minimum 13 feet. Personal fall arrests. I still see this. Body belts on the job. They're illegal to use as a personal fall arrest system. Lanyards, harnesses, anchorage points. We're going to talk about harnesses and anchorage uh, lanyards later on, uh, probably uh, later on tonight on that. And personal fall arrest system. This is not how you rig this up, but this is just for demonstration purposes where you have to have things hooked up to an anchorage point. The anchorage point has to hold 5,000 pounds. I don't think that scaffold is going to do it. Body harnesses have to be worn properly with the chest strap across the nipples and the D-ring uh, high up on the uh, back. And I got these photos from OSHA. Inspected prior to use. Adjusted to fit the worker and free from other visible damage. We're going to talk about checklists tonight. Lanyards must be in good condition and free from visible damage. A lanyard must attach a D-ring on the body harness. So that's one D-ring for one device, one clip. You cannot put two clips on there. Never anchor or tie off the pipes, wood structures, electrical wires, or other areas not designed for anchorage points. So, again, that railing is rated for 200 pounds. You cannot tie off to the railing. And look at that. The pelican hook, if you could see it on here, is not even fully closed. The gate is not closed. Here we have a beamer clamp, this is called, uh, with this. So you're able to hook up to I-beams. With that, and there are many different configurations here for what you're doing. So check with your manufacturer and supplier. Or better yet, give us a call at Safety Wars at 
845-269-5772. And make sure, right here we have another one, a lifeline. It's sorry to make out in the thing, in the thing but we have a, someone tied off to a horizontal lifeline, which is good. Workers must always be tied off uh, when working with personal fall protection. Here we have an anchorage point on the ground. Not familiar with that type, but I'm sure it's rated. And we're going to take our first break here. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with The Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with The Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with The Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA Recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Pozel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. Okay, we are back here. We will continue. So here we have, this is, uh, what's the difference between a positioning device and a restraint device? So the regulation does not mention restraint in the regulations. It does mention it in the uh, letter of interpretation out there. So the difference is this. With positioning, you need 5,000 pounds of anchorage, and you cannot fall more than two feet with that. So that's if you're hanging, more or less, and you have side D-rings and things of that nature on the harness, which I don't recommend unless you're actually doing that. Or you can have a restraint, where there is zero opportunity for falling, and that requires a 3,000-pound anchorage, and there is a zero chance of, of a fall on that. Ooh, let me get... That is the difference. Warning lines all around all sides of roofs, no mechanical equipment six feet or more from the edge, and mechanical equipment 10 feet or more from an edge. That's where the warning line needs to be. They must be ropes, wires, chains, or and chains or stanchions, and flagged 34 inches from the ground and be protected uh, from tipping. So uh, tensile strength of 500 pounds. So there goes that barricade tape, even the red barricade tape on that matter. And no employee is allowed in there unless they're assembling the uh, system. So here we have a warning line here system we have a, a wire rope with some flagging here we have a warning line right must uh, be able to sustain 16 pounds of tipping force and the warning line must be 34 inches from the ground they have to be maintained and you no know, report anything unsafe to your supervisor 
Never work in an area of the warding line has been locked down or damaged. Here we have a very common thing where the well, things are damaged. Here, uh, blown over. Controlled access zone, very similar, between 6 and 25 feet from the edge and can be used as fall protection for masons under certain circumstances because the masons are building up parapet. So here we have the controlled uh, decking zone. That's in a steel erection and a controlled access zone here. That's how that's set up. You still have to wear fall protection once you're in that controlled access zone. And there's usually some type of a line there. Now, the question comes up, can we spray paint it on the ground? No, you cannot. That's in violation. Covers. So you have covers on things. That's another option. Here we have, it has to be marked. I don't know what O-Y-O means, but this is marked as a whole uh, on here. Oh, I guess those are eyes looking at you like an owl. I, I don't know. There's another one. They have to be able to hold uh, double the maximum intended load uh, for that. Skylights are another form of floor holes. Uh, Never sit, stand, or place any materials on skylights. If I could show you, I have NDAs here. There are, are grids that go into skylights in some of the new buildings that I'm looking at. I'm involved in the construction. So if someone sits on there or falls on them, they hit the grid. Uh, however, just because you're wearing a seatbelt does not mean that you can drive like an idiot, even if you're on Route 287 in New Jersey and New York. Uh no, that just because you have it doesn't mean, well, why? Now we could do whatever we want and sit on these things and fall through them because we have a grid pattern. Uh-uh. Again, the grid is a guard. Right? Not foolproof. Floor covers, fear holes. Here we have, uh, this is common in a lot of parking lot construction where the uh, fear holes are not covered. Uh Bollard holes not covered, and things of that nature. So fall protection plan only uh, is available only to employees engaged in leading edge work, precast concrete erect work, or residential work, where conventional fall protection is demonstrated to be a greater hazard. I call this baloney. I want to know what job where fall protection is not feasible. And feasible means a lot of things. It's not financially feasible. We're going to show you how that's a lie on here. So this is what needs to be done. If you're going to be uh, writing any type of fall protection plan, you need an assessment, control. You have to train and implement and monitor. That's for all your safety plans. So are there any risks? And this is a big, long list here. Can we eliminate the falls? How are we going? How are we going to eliminate the falls? How, what kind of training are we going to do? We're going to do subpart M training or OSHA uh, uh, or ANSI. Sorry, I misspoke. ANSI for our authorized user training, which, by the way, we give eight four five two six nine five seven seven two. Are we going to do something else? Are we going to perform and write some kind of regular inspections? And they have to be done in writing. 
all this stuff has to be done in writing because one, you may be the person who gets killed on these jobs and, and you're the one inspecting them. Number one. So you need paperwork designating who the competent person is. Once you're the competent person, you have to go out there and you have to do uh, your job and document everything. Uh, so what, what, no, so this has to be a competent person here, right? Fall protection plan, right? Are you on a low slope roof? Used only if there's no other feasible option. The safety monitor has to be in visual sighting distance, has to be close enough for oral communication, and there has to be no other duties for that monitor, no mechanical equipment, and the monitor must be a competent person. As a review, has to be able to authorize, has to be able to assess, and authorized could be part of a, assess and act on things, to correct things. If you don't have the authority to correct anything, you ain't a competent person. That's somebody else to get that in writing. There also has to be a rescue plan here. This is the whole thing. Uh, I live and work primarily in large metropolitan areas. I've worked in Denver, I've worked in Boston, I've worked all over the New York City metro area, uh, areas where there are a lot of resources there, a lot of training there. If you're working, and I'm not insulting anybody here, I want to, because the uh, first responder is going, not going to put themselves at risk unnecessarily here, understandably. If they don't have the training, they don't have the equipment, they don't have anything else, their ability to rescue you is going to be impeded. So it's really important that if you're a competent person or if you're a supervisor, you have make damn sure that you're out there uh, and the local fire department, emergency responders know what they're doing. This way they'll be prepared with this. Do they have the training? Do they have the equipment? Are they going to have to call in more help from maybe a county organization or a state organization? And now that impedes the response time to get to your facility. Once you start to be hanging up there, uh, so the medical establishment tells me 10 minutes, you start to get what is called orthostatic trauma or suspension trauma which means that the blood pools in your lower extremities. And once blood flow is because from you hanging in a harness and once blood flow is restored, you have you people who run into blood clots, strokes, the whole nine yards. Does your local EMT know about that? I don't know. Maybe worth a, con a conversation. You have to have at least one person on site with first aid and CPR and AED training and make sure local emergency responders can respond and have equipment and training. So here we have the feasibility test. I put this together. Safety monitors normally do not make a lot of money. Well, what reality is, they're looking at about $25 an hour. If it's a union job, it's more than that. Uh, but basically around $25 an hour. So that's about 1000 a week. You add in benefits, taxes, and everything else, you're looking at a, about $1,500 a week. And that's a recurring cost every week. And what's the cost of a fall? That uh, a fracture would go 
about $115,198. Again, that's a fracture of fatality, somewhere around $1.3 million. So that's what one sort of numbers are. So what you're looking at is about $1,500 a week for the safety monitor, right? What are you looking at for... Okay, we're missing an overhead here, but that's fine. What are you looking at for the cost of the fall protection equipment? You're looking at anywhere from uh, $400, or you can get an economy set of about $200, up to about $800. You buy it one time and you have it, and you send the person out for training. You'll be able to amortize that fit, uh, real quick with those numbers. You have a crew of four people, guess what? You have a crew of four people. You have them all connected off with a competent person, blah, 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 blah. All right, $3,000, I'll be generous. Safety monitor, that's two weeks. That'll call, That's two weeks of a safety monitor. The other reason why safety monitors don't work is that you have a guy out there or a female, doesn't matter, and you're out there and you say, hey, watch out, I'm getting near the edge. Hey, watch out. I'm getting near the edge. Hey, get, well, you're getting near the edge. Hey, watch out for that. Well, how long do you think that's going to last? How long did that last with uh, the COVID masks, right? And you get antagonized and you start arguments and everything else. So, again, if you're interested in any type of training or uh, uh, consulting or writing plans, give us a call, 845-269-5772 or jim at safetywords.com. And you can visit us on the web at safetywords.com. And that's all I got here for this uh, presentation. I wanted to uh, thank everybody for uh, listening or watching, however you're getting this. Thank you very much. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.